chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you, and this morning's passage can be found on page 859 and 860. Um, also will be on the screen behind me. Um, what a special day uh, for us that we get to gather, that we get to celebrate what God is doing um, both in our city and in the nations. We are uh, in the middle of a series called Everyday Missionaries where we are looking to impact both our neighborhoods and the nations with the gospel. Um, and if this morning is any indication, God is graciously answering that prayer for us as his people. Uh, I want to begin with uh, a blog post that was originally scheduled and published in 2014. Uh, it's called 10 Tips for Sharing Your Faith from an Atheist. So um, I won't go through all 10 for time's sake, but one of the most helpful things, it's by a man named Daniel Finicky. He says this, he says, if you want to share your faith and you want to be effective, he says, do this. He says, be like Jesus, hang with sinners, and judge the judgers. He says, the most admirable part of the story of Jesus, even to an atheist like me, is the way that the Gospels portray him as a morally condemnatory preacher who focuses sermons against those who abuse their wealth and religious power rather than those demonized by his religion. While he spent his time hanging out with outcasts loathed by his communities from his use of a hated Samaritan as a role model in his story about what kind of love that God demands from us, to his reputation for hanging out with the hated tax collectors and prostitutes who were held in such contempt, to his endless attacks on the rich and the self-righteous religious leaders, Jesus of the Gospels is a role model of how to simultaneously have strong opinions about morality without being judgmental and alienating. So, I think what's helpful about that is um, that goes... And it really slides in the face of much of what is considered evangelism today. Jesus hung out with all the wrong kinds of people in all the wrong kinds of places. Um, He... The only people Jesus condemned in the scripture, he welcomed people that saw their need, that were aware of their own brokenness and their own sin. He welcomed those kinds of people. But the people that he turned the guns on were the people that were self-righteous and um, were self-congratulating. And so basically what this blog post tells us is evangelism and sharing our faith and sharing our lives is most effective when we follow um, the mission and the methods of Jesus, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what we're looking to do. We're we're not looking to be Jesus, but we're looking to kind of walk in his footsteps after him and follow him. I mean, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Jesus is the uh, greatest evangelist in the world, right? He's been doing a pretty good job saving people for over 2,000 years. Um, So uh, we want to pay attention to um, how he lived his life. We want to pay attention to his message, but we also want to pay attention to how he walked out that mission. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, Jesus as an evangelist and see some of the things that we can learn for ourselves and for our own lives, maybe some things that we can apply in our gospel community. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me? I'm going to read Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 16 to 22. 
Yeah, I'm going to stop in the middle of a verse for a very particular reason. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we so now want to encounter you in a real and a tangible way. Thank you for the ways that we have encountered you. Um, I pray that you would bless the time that we have remaining in your word and that you would equip us to be students of your good news um, and missionaries to our culture and the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at Luke chapter 4. This is a sermon by Jesus. He is in his hometown. Um, I'm sure on the human side of Jesus, this was probably a little intimidating. It's still, uh, I grew up in Hot Springs, and uh, I didn't know Jesus when I was there, and so it was a little bit intimidating each and every time I go back. If I just stop in Walmart and I see someone that I know, um, most of the time they don't know that God has actually invaded my life and changed my story. So it can be uh, a little bit of uh, an intimidation factor. But Jesus uh, begins and launches his ministry in his hometown um, with this famous uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 61. Um, And it's important for us to understand this is Jesus basically explaining to the world and explaining to us, hey, this is what my mission is all about. It's important because Jesus's mission is our mission, right? That's our first point this morning. Jesus's mission is our mission. We don't have two separate missions. Um, Whether you are in Haiti or in Tokyo or in Jonesboro or to the ends of the earth, there's one mission, right? And it's to bring this good news message about Jesus Christ and to see people forgiven and saved set free, to see them liberated, to see oppression, to cease all at the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus' mission is. His mission is our mission. His mission is not for us to gather as a church, as wonderful as it is. As much as I love to sing songs and to um, sometimes to preach sermons, I love all of that, but that's not what our mission is. Our mission is to see people meet Jesus. So that's what Jesus is proclaiming here, and, and ultimately... Jesus' mission is our mission. The, the good news for us is we don't have to be Jesus to people. But Colossians 1.27 says that it's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. So if you've been born again, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. I mean, you have this hope of glory that's just kind of bubbling up and waiting to get out. And so my prayer today is that there are a couple of helpful things that will help Christ in you shine more brightly. So in... Um, He's quoting Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. So what can we learn from those words? Jesus' mission was a Spirit-empowered mission. Right? 
This is right after Jesus' baptism, Luke chapter 3. Jesus is baptized not because he's a sinner, but so he could fulfill all righteousness, right? He got baptized because we can't even do that, right? Like, he got baptized for us. And then, like, as a sign of God's pleasure, he sent the Holy Spirit to kind of rest on Jesus as a dove. What does that teach us? It teaches us if Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill his mission, How much more do you and I need the Spirit of God to fulfill our mission? But what the good news is, God is not reluctant with His Spirit. Like, He pours out His Spirit on His people. That's what we talked a little bit last week, that the ascension or Jesus being taken back up into heaven is kind of like His victory parade where He pours out the Holy Spirit on the church as a sign of His victory. Now we have this Spirit that's inside of us that leads us and guides us, the same Spirit that led and guided Jesus, right? So we don't have to make this up as we go. We actually just get to tap into the power that God has already given us. So we have a Spirit-led, Spirit-guided, Spirit-empowered mission. So God gives us His Spirit to impart His passion. The one thing that God is most passionate about on planet Earth is seeing people forgiven of their sins, seeing people liberated from the oppression of sin, seeing people, right, In the religious south, seeing people liberated from the oppression of religion itself and connecting and seeing things afresh through the eyes um, of the gospel through Jesus Christ. So his mission is a spirit-empowered mission. His message is about good news, right? Listen, if it's not good news, it's not Christianity, okay? Okay? This is good news. He's here to announce the year of the Lord's favor. That God is gracious towards people. That his favor rests upon them. Not because they're perfect, but because he came to rescue them. And he saw value in them. And he put his spirit upon them. So this message is about good news. But it's also about freedom. right? It's about people being released from the captivity that keeps them in such bondage. And listen, every person in this room has ways that they have been bound and probably are currently bound. This good news message is for you. This is about you experiencing freedom that comes from Jesus. That's why he came into the world. He actually wants you to experience freedom. It also says that he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. What does it mean to be oppressed? Certainly, I mean, we can talk about being oppressed by evil, but I I just had this distinct impression as I was praying this morning that there are people here in this room that are oppressed by a false image of themselves, right? It's something that someone spoke over you. It's something that someone spoke to you, and it's the way that you've begun to see yourself. Jesus' good news came to set you free from that kind of oppression so that you could see yourself the same way that God sees you, as an image bearer of God. That's the good news. He came to set thee at liberty those that are oppressed. Christianity, essentially, this is what it is. If we do this well, like we're going to get a lot of things right. Christianity is about remembering the forgotten, right? Jesus' good news was for the poor, right? It was for the forgotten. It was for the marginalized. That's where it has exploded. I have not had a chance to debrief with a team from Haiti, but I promise you Christianity is flourishing at the margins, right? 
I sat down and Aaron McDuff and I, we probably for close to two hours heard stories from Nepal and India. The gospel is flourishing in the slum areas. The power of God is on full display among the poor. So if we're going to be a church that's going to be on God's mission, we have to be about seeing good news brought to the poor. That's not only the physically and materially poor, which we must do, and we have to do that in a pronounced way. I mean, all throughout Scripture, that is God's passion. But we also want to do that for those that are spiritually poor. All of those things are part of God's mission. That is what we are to be about. I met a man named Corey, and he is from South Miami, or he has planted a church in South Miami. He actually is from uh, Memphis. Uh, we connected on that. His wife is from Little Rock. They planted a church in South Miami. Um, the average per capita income in his church is $11,000. It's 65% Haitian, right? But the gospel is going forward. The gospel is bearing good fruit. And so he's going to be in Arkansas in a couple of months, and he's going to come up hopefully and give us a visit. These are partnerships that God is allowing us to build and develop and go to the ends of the earth and reach um, our context as well. So it's good news for the poor. Andy Crouch says this in his book, Weak and Strong. The test of every human community is how it cares for the most vulnerable. So, I mean, you can look at Matthew chapter 25. Jesus doesn't ask a lot of questions on the final day, but one of the few that he, that he brings to the forefront is, how did you remember the poor? How did you care for those that were sick? How did you visit those that are in prison? That's what it means to be on mission as a church, right? It's not about, <laughs> and this is funny, I, I mean this with no disrespect. Like, I'm sure people are going to get to heaven and they were converted because someone left a track in the bathroom <laughs> at a gas station, right? But that's not what it means to be on the mission of God. For us to be on the mission of God, it means for us to take what God has entrusted to us, which is primarily the good news of the gospel, and to see that begin to transform lives and see people set free. So his mission is our mission. This mission is holistic, and it is comprehensive. It deals with physical needs, right? It's about blind people seeing, like we actually care about that, but we also want people to see Jesus. We want to care for their bodies and the soul. We don't want to just say, hey, here's some good news for you and leave people hungry. We want to do both of those things because both of those things commend our message. So we want to care for those that are most vulnerable. So his mission is our mission, and then... His method um, is to mirror our method. This is point number two. His method is to mirror our method. You can turn over to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read a few verses. This is Jesus' posture towards suffering people. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Jesus raises a widow's son. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not Weep. Then he came up and he touched the briar, and the, the bear stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, 
Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And the report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, (laughs) I prepared this sermon before I went to uh, this conference the past week. So I was going to say, we're probably not going to raise someone from the dead, right? But no kidding, like, I sat with a man from India who casually communicated to me that we prayed for a man in a hospital that was pronounced dead on the scene, and he got up and walked out, right? But for most of us, that's probably not going to be normative, right? But what we can learn from this story is that we're to engage with and to care for suffering people, right? I mean, Jesus' ministry went straight into the heart of suffering people, right? I mean, our culture is so insulated and isolated from suffering. I mean, even the way that, and I don't mean any disrespect, but the way that we construct hospitals. I mean, they're all nice and beautiful on the outside, and you know, but inside, I mean, that just isolates us from suffering, right? What do we do with the elderly? We put them away so we can't see them. We, we marginalize suffering all around us. Jesus intentionally sought out to sit with suffering people, to heal suffering people, to pray for suffering people. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, this is in The Problem of Pain. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So God is particularly present in the midst of suffering. There's a unique opportunity as we sit with suffering people to model the heart of God. So I would encourage you, right, and I know that this takes the spirit of the sovereign Lord being upon you to sit with people that are suffering, to offer to pray for them. And I love that it says that Jesus had compassion on her. We don't, we don't get a lot of reasons for why people suffer in the Bible, but there's one reason that's crystal clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort other people. And I have to think that Jesus, knowing that the cross was before him, knowing that he would have to say goodbye to his mother one day, looked on the compassion of this widow who was already lost her husband. This was her only connection to society. But she looked, he looked upon this woman, had compassion on her, said, my mom's going to go through the same thing one day, and I don't want you to go through that. So his power is displayed, and the young man is raised to life. Right? So, who in your relational network right, is suffering right now? Who in your neighborhood? Who in your job? Right? All these are invitations from God to be able to sit with people. Right? We don't need to pass them a track, but there is a... And, and this is true. After man, probably a dozen, probably, probably 20 years of walking with Jesus, I've had the privilege of sitting with suffering people. Regardless of what their religious background is, no one has ever refused prayer when they're suffering. Right? It's just an open door 
to be able to care for someone. We may not be an expert at apologetics and how to share a faith, but you can share the heart of God by just praying for people in the midst of their suffering. So, um, yeah, just seek out those kinds of people. Um, Second thing I want to draw your attention to, you can uh, just change the tune a little bit. Go over to Luke chapter 14. This is the parable of the great banquet. Um, Another way that we can mirror Jesus' methods is if we um, throw parties with a questionable guest list. So Luke chapter 14, right? This, that was solemn and sobering. This is uh, rejoicing. Let's look at uh, Luke chapter 14. I'm just going to read verses 12 through 14. When you give, this is a parable, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return to be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So, I want to combine this story, and I'm not going to go there, but Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. You may have heard of him in Sunday school. There was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. That's Zacchaeus. Right, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord. He wanted, he, I, I was, I, yeah, you guys can sing it. That's, that's kind of the point. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Jesus came, and he ate with Zacchaeus. Right? Jesus was always spending time with the wrong kinds of people. He was inviting people that were forgotten, that were outcasts, that were marginalized. Right? And he invited those kinds of people to come in and have dinner with him. Um, eating with sinners in the New Testament right, is a big deal. Right? Because it so pushed back on the religious view of the day that people just eating with the wrong kinds of people would make you dirty. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is eating with Jesus made dirty people clean, right? And the same thing can happen as we are the people of God, that Christ in us, the hope of glory, like when we spend time with people, not because we're morally superior, but because they have the same kinds of issues that we have, but we can offer our hope in Jesus Christ that when we sit down to share a meal with people, that the hope of Jesus is communicated. Listen, I've been a citizen of this area long enough to know that there are a lot of busy people, but there are even more lonely people. You would be shocked at the number of people that have not actually ever been invited to sit inside another person's home and have a meal outside of their family, right? We have such a massive opportunity to be able to extend hospitality, to be able to share meals with people that don't know Jesus. And, and the cool thing about doing this in community is you don't have to do this on your own, right? I mean, that's why we have gospel community, so that different kinds of gifts can be used. And, and that's what I love about this church. This is one of the things that we are best at, right? I don't know the number of parties that I've been to this year that have people that love and are passionate about Jesus and people that are leaning in and looking and people that have no desire for Jesus, right? Uh, Super Bowl parties. There, I went to us. Uh, Instead of a Cinco de Mayo, it was a Seis de Mayo. It was on a Saturday, right? But it was just an opportunity to get together and have a lot of people in 
and celebrate and allow people to share the love that we share with one another, bring people into community. So I would just encourage you as a church to do that more and more. Like, think about that this summer. We're intentionally dialing back the official things inside of our church, but that doesn't mean that we're not on mission, but it just gives us a little bit different rhythm so that you can hang out and you can have fun and don't feel like you have to have dips and chips and sit around in a circle and do a Bethmore Bible study. That's not what we're doing. We're going to have parties with people. Love Bethmore. No problem at all. But here's the deal. Like, you get to actually hang out and have a good time doing things that you love to do with people that you love and the gospel itself is winsome and attractive. So throw parties with questionable guest lists. All right? Uh, next, uh, I'm going to skip one of these. Uh, I want to turn back to Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to close with this. Luke chapter 5. There is a story of, this is one of Jesus' first miracles in the book of Luke. Jesus heals a paralytic. I'm not going to read it. Luke 5, 17 through 26. Basically, Jesus and his healing power is famous. People are pressing in all around him. There are crowds of people all around. And there comes a group of friends with a man that's paralyzed. And he's like on a stretcher. And they're trying to get him to Jesus. But the crowds are too dense. They can't make their way through. So what do the people do? They go up on the roof. They let up some of the tiles. And they let the man down through the roof to get them to Jesus. Now, this story is primarily about um, who has the authority to forgive sins. But for us as budding evangelists, people that are trying to learn how do we follow Jesus and live out the story of Jesus, um, I think the point is do whatever you can do to get people to Jesus right? I mean, sometimes it's going to take rearranging your life. Sometimes it's going to mean um, breaking open a roof. Sometimes it's going to mean getting out of your normal rhythm so that you can serve someone and bring them to Jesus, right? So do whatever it takes, right? If that's inviting somebody over for dinner, if that means sometimes you need to cancel your normal plans because somebody is in need, those are the kinds of things that make the gospel unique. It's just that simple for us in this culture to be able to be winsome with the message of Jesus is that we say, you are more important than me. That's countercultural, right? You matter because you matter to God. So do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. And what's really awesome is, like, the disciples, they, they spent three years with Jesus. They followed him. After he sent the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, They didn't just sit around and say, I wonder what we should do now, right? They just followed in Jesus' footsteps. They spent time with suffering people. They prayed for people, right? They had meals together. They invited other people into those meals, and they saw God work, right? And his plan's been working pretty well for 2,000 years. It's just for us, man, we, we, we automatically think, man, we just need this program. Like if we could just find out a formula. Um, but it's really just living normal everyday life where you do the things that you're already doing, inviting other people into that, using your jobs, using your home, using your relationships. Because listen, this is what it's all about. Jesus is infinitely attractive and beautiful, Right? If they're going to stumble, let it be over the stumbling block of Jesus, but not let it be just because we're weird, you know? Like, let's be a kind of people that love to be with one another, that experience the privilege of relationship and serving 
and watch Jesus work, right? So let's just ask God that he would send his spirit to, um, because really apart from him, we can't do anything, that he would send his spirit to help us to be better missionaries, that our mission would be his mission and that his methods would, our, our, our methods would mirror his methods. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the greatest evangelist in the world. Thank you that he is the hope of glory that lives inside of us. I pray that you help us take steps of faith to see him uh, made known and manifest in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to celebrate the Savior. Everything that we have done kind of leads up to this moment where we come to the table. This isn't a religious exercise. This is a a picture of coming to Jesus. And I don't know where you are in this room, but if you need freedom, this meal is for you. If you need forgiveness, this meal is for you. If you are oppressed, this meal is for you. I want you to understand that this meal represents his favor towards you. Because Jesus' body that's represented by that bread was broken for you. You have the favor of God that rests on you. That cup represents his blood that was shed for you. So that you can be forgiven. So that you can have joy. And this this has been my honest-to-goodness prayer for the last month. Is that joy would break out in this church and through this church to this city. Right? That we would be a group of people that are full of joy because every sin has been forgiven. So, um, this meal isn't for perfect people. This is for people that know that they need a Savior. 